0: Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. All right, Privileges is the current sermon series we are in. Can I just say one more time how proud I am, not just of the, the two teams that worked through all the issues this morning, but of you guys for worshiping through it. That was awesome. <laughs> like, I know it throws everybody off and everybody's sort of tense when that kind of stuff happens, but... You guys worshipped right through I was standing right back there, everybody was still worshipping, singing, raising their hands, I'm proud of you for that, good job, it's not easy. Alright, so, we are in Privileges series number two, uh, we talked about tithing last week, right? And we really looked at it from the perspective of the book of Malachi, where God has some pretty harsh things to say to his people who weren't seeing him correctly, right? Right? They didn't see him as a good and generous God who loves to give good gifts to his children and overflow their blessings so that they could be a blessing to everyone else. They saw God as a harsh slave driver, someone who wanted everything from them. And honestly, they resented him for it. And when we talked about God calling them out on that behavior and calling them back into right relationship with him, But I want to drill down just a little bit deeper on this concept today. Um, Really the concept of sacrifice and blessing within God's kingdom. How those two work together so beautifully in the kingdom of God. I want you to see from a biblical perspective just how powerful it can be when we have the correct view of who God is. Okay? There are two books in the Bible named after one prophet in the Old Testament who had a huge impact on the the history of Israel as a whole. He's venerated as a prophet by Christians, Jews, and Muslims. He oversaw the transition from the era of judges to a kingdom under a king. He was the ultimate problem solver of his day, so much so that kings would wait for him to go into battle. It would consult with him on issues of war and national policy. What I'm trying to say is the prophet of God named Samuel was a big deal in the Old Testament. But his life almost didn't exist. Samuel wasn't just a solution to Israel's problems when he was an, an adult, but even as a kid, he was a solution to the problems that Israel was facing. Samuel was a solution from conception, a solution to problems that Israel didn't even know they had just yet. The story goes that in the beginning of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, Hannah was Samuel's mother. But Hannah, she had a mother's heart long before she was a mother. Hannah actually wasn't able to have children at the beginning of her story. Hannah's husband had another wife as well called Penaniah. I like to call her Penaniah the perfect, sort of a snarky way, because she liked to make fun of Hannah for her lack of children. Okay, it was a badge of honor in that culture to have The ability to have many children and and Hannah wasn't able. So Penaniah the perfect liked to bully her for it. Penaniah had just so many children, right? And Hannah didn't. And so on their yearly trip to the temple, Hannah prays a prayer to God that goes like this. And we're actually only going to read two verses today, which is super out of the norm for me. But 1 Samuel 1 verse 10 says, Hannah was in deep anguish Crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. The powerful prayer, short, powerful. And I want to break this prayer down a little bit today because I, I've always believed that prayers work right? We say this a lot in, in Christian culture, praying works, that they are powerful, the power of prayer. And I've always believed in the power of a praying mother as well. But this particular problem led to a particular solution that led to many, many, many more solutions. I mean, this was a unique situation by all accounts. So I want you to see the power of, of this prayer that she prayed. Let me just read it one more time. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. She begins by saying, if you look upon my sorrow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you look upon my sorrow. First of all, Hannah diagnosed the problem. She correctly Diagnosed the problem, right? She was faced with a bully, Penaniah the perfect, right? Who who made fun of her for not having any children. But instead of asking God to take good old Penny out, Hannah asked God to heal her. I, I know some of you have had pennies in your life, right? You're laughing at me for, but we've all had a penny in our lives, right? But see, I'm tempted to. Ask God to fix the pennies, right? Convict them, change them. How dare they, God? Hannah doesn't do this, and this is important because we so often diagnose the problem and we come to very wrong conclusions, very wrong solutions that we're asking God to fix. We we can't bring ourselves to believe in a God big enough to solve the big problem, healing problem that needed to happen within Hannah. So we ask him for smaller things instead. Couldn't bring myself, I don't know, if I were in her shoes. If I would have gone to God, I probably would have asked her to fix him, to fix her. Fix Penny. Not me. It takes courage to pray big prayers. She was in anguish. She threw herself before God, put all her cards on the table. She poured out her heart. And she asked God for the big solution, not just any solution. See, I think actually what a lot of us call prayers are more like manipulation. We, we want the creator of heaven and earth to agree with us that our solution is the best. Right? And so we we twist God's arm into doing what we think is correct rather than asking him what he might think is correct. It's actually probably a little closer to witchcraft than prayer when you look at it that way. Witchcraft is manipulation. We want to change other people, manipulate them into doing what, what we want. We want God to change other people. And don't get me wrong. He can Right? I pray that God would soften hearts and, and speak to hearts and minds and all of that. God can change other people. But more often when I pray God convict them, I've learned that it's, it's more of a dangerous prayer because I end up being the one convicted. And God says, but what about you? Whispers it to my soul. <laughs> and I'm forced to sort of look at my behavior in the situation, Right? So he can change other people, but it's sort of a small-minded prayer sometimes. We're going for the lowest possible good when we pray things like this. Just change a bully. And God can change a nation through a pregnancy that wasn't possible. You see how big God can get with his solutions and how small-minded we can be. (laughs) God can correctly fix your problem, the source of it, but we don't often think of that. Hannah said if you look upon my sorrow she owned it it was her problem she didn't see pen and i as her problem and i don't know about you but i think i would have i think i would have seen her as the issue the source of my pain Hannah didn't see it that way jesus and the new testament also didn't see people as the problem. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Right? People are not our enemy. There is an enemy, but it's not people. Hannah correctly diagnosed this problem. We can correctly diagnose problems too, when we have a big enough view of who God is. When we see Him as the Almighty Creator of heaven and earth that He is, right? We talked about Job two weeks ago. When Job came to God with problems with His anger and God, how could you and why would you? God answered Job with, look at all of the things that I have created, all of the things in my creation that work together well. How can you possibly think I'm not going to handle yours too? Job had no choice but to sit back and say, you know what? Yeah, I have nothing more to say. (laughs) I trust you. See, worship does this. Worship is one of those spiritual disciplines that corrects our perspective of who God is. It's why it's a discipline. We're meant to do it regularly. Worship is different than praise and thanksgiving. I teach this a lot, but allow me to go, go through it one more time. Worship is all about God. Thanksgiving and praise are good. We should be thankful. We should praise God for the things that he's done, right? But worship isn't about what he's done or what he's done for me. It's about who he is. There is a difference. We need all of them. But we often miss out on worship because we're too busy thanking God for what he's done for me and not seeing him for who he is. Let me demonstrate. Uh, God is... Good. And so he gives me good things. God is the healer, and so he will heal me. Right? God is the provider, so he will provide for me. We usually say, God, thank you for providing. Thank you for healing. Thank you for giving to me. Right? But when we understand who he is, of course we're going to believe that he can do it for me because it's who he is. He is love. He is the provider, the deliverer, the comforter, the healer, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, he knows all the stars by name. He knows the amount of hair on each one of our heads. Like he is so much bigger than just me and my problems. And he probably has a bigger solution in mind than you can imagine. Bigger than you can imagine or think about, says He he his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts bigger than our thoughts. Have you asked him lately? what his solution to your problem might be? Or have you just asked him for your solutions to your problems? Fasting is another spiritual discipline that does this. I actually have linked in the sermon notes today a list of spiritual disciplines if you want to go through these again. So helpful. Fasting gets your mind off of you and what your body needs and craves. And it gets your eyes back on him. Right? It puts him in the driver's seat of your life. We often, we, we, we revert into this auto mode where, where we feed our bodies what it wants whenever it wants, right? We give it whatever it wants all the time. Does, does your body always know what's best for it? I crave cookies all the time. Does my body need cookies all the time? Right? It craves all kinds of things that are bad for you. And I go into auto mode and I think it's in, it's in charge. If I want cookies, I'm going to have cookies. That's not what's best for me. And so fasting, specifically with food, a lot of us go like social media or like the bare minimum with fasting. I'll just fast what I can live without. (laughs) Fasting is meant to be a sacrifice and food is, oh, it's powerful. Believe me, I hate doing it every single time. But it is so powerful when you do it because it separates that. It does this for me every time. It makes me realize that God can be in control, that I can submit to his will for my body and what it wants, and I don't have to give it what it wants all the time. And then that trickles down. That discipline trickles down into everything else that I do. It helps me with self-discipline overall. Our spiritual disciplines do this. We have to discipline ourselves to worship, to tithe, to give over and above our tithes, to be generous, to fast, and to pray. And we talk about all the benefits, the privileges of living as a child of God. But these are some of the responsibilities too. Worship, fast, get your eyes back on who he is, how big he is. So she says, look upon my sorrow. And the second part of this, if you look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer. Oftentimes when we pray, we come to God with this, Wrote um religious set of words that we just repeat over and over god let me have a good day today god let me yada yada yada. like we we go through this prayer is meant to be a conversation and i say this all the time but have an honest conversation with god right pour your heart out to him cry out to him he listens Pray the honest prayer because he moves, he delivers. I've done this before too, where I've I've worried, I've fretted, I've internalized things. Like it tore me up on the inside and it ate away at my relationships. I didn't express it to anyone, much less God, because I didn't think my thoughts were worthy of him. Right? Like I shouldn't be feeling this way. I I guilt trip myself. Shouldn't be feeling this way. I shouldn't be this selfish. I shouldn't be whatever. But when I can finally bring myself to express that to him, he can take it. He can take it. It's very safe to unload your fears, your prayers, your worries to God. Be honest, truly honest. He's not afraid of your anger. He's not afraid of your your bitterness. In those moments when I'm truly heartbroken or angry or whatever, and I'm expressing them to God, sometimes I can just feel him. I close my eyes and just feel him smiling over me. Sometimes that's all it takes. When I hold back, I pray what I think I should pray. I rarely feel anything from him. Evangelist uh, Johannes Amritzer often says, I think God prefers an honest cussing to a hypocritical hallelujah. And I always get mean mail when I say that, because, don't at me, uh, because people are like, well, you, you're not advocating for cussing to God. No, I'm not, but I, I do think he prefers it, if it's honest, to a hypocritical hallelujah. I, I don't see Jesus being offended by very much in the Bible, except when people who know better... Behave badly. But to sinners, to people who are honest, I don't see him getting very offended. I, <coughs> I've officiated a bunch of weddings lately over the past year where I don't know everyone. And my favorite are the ones where it's all of you and we're, we get to be family together. But occasionally I get asked to do a wedding where I know very little people. And I always show up. In fact, one time I showed up and The father of the groom, I think, as soon as I walked in, he said, who the, are you? And I went, "Uh, I'm Candace, I'm the minister. (laughs) Uh, And he immediately goes, oh, I'm so sorry. But everybody had cracked up. It was a funny, he didn't mean it to offend me. He was just being funny. And, uh, you know, he immediately apologizes for his behavior and everybody sort of stiffens. Like, the entire room's afraid he just offended me. And then it's on me to be like, no, it's, it's cool. It's whatever. I'm, I'm fine. I don't know. Uh, made it so awkward. But this is a, a very common occurrence when I do weddings where I don't know people. When they find out I'm the minister, they, <clears throat> they shut up. <laughs> they, they edit themselves, right? Or if they don't, then they apologize for themselves. I, d- I didn't ask them to do that. I don't want that. Right, I want them to be real, be themselves. It's it's. You have to work harder than that to offend me, right? This is how Christians should be. We we should be unoffendable. Jesus was practically unoffendable. We see him get mad twice in the word, not twice. We see him get really mad twice in the temple, or a few more times. He gets mad at the fig tree. Right, he gets, says some harsh words to some of his disciples, but it's always the people who should know better. Right, he's he's angry with religious behavior that has nothing behind it. He's angry with fruitlessness. Maybe I'll preach that message in the series too because it's so freeing when you understand what Jesus is actually offended at, what he does get angry at and what he doesn't. We get it wrong a lot. I think God is like 99% unoffendable. <laughs> we think he's going to be offended at everything, but in reality, there's very little that offends him. The behavior of sinners wasn't one of them. He had compassion with them, grace with them. It was the behavior of people who knew better that offended him. I want to be that way. I want to be unoffendable. Right? I, th- I think we can approach the heart of God like this. We can cry out to him. We can be honest. And he will be in it. Now, if you know better, it's a different story. Right? But we can be honest with him. Number three. She goes on, if you look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son. I think this part of the prayer is just simply about acknowledging where your help comes from. Who your blessings come from. Every good and perfect thing comes from above, the Bible says. Every good and perfect thing comes from your creator God. God is love. He is light. He is goodness and mercy and peace. Any amount of that that you experience on planet Earth comes from him. Acknowledge who is the solution. Who is the source of every good thing? I've had people before very confused about the concept of hell. How could a good God send anyone to such a terrible place? The answer to that is God isn't sending anyone there. He is giving you what you've communicated to him that you want, which is absence of him. Hell is a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth because there is no God there, which means there is no love, none, no goodness, no light. Can you imagine a place like that? If we communicate to God all our lives that we don't want him, that's what we're communicating. He's gonna give you what you want. Absence of goodness. God is the source of all good things. And this is important because you can't get it twisted. We do this all the time. God is the source of my provision. Not my job. Not my boss. Right? Not wherever I'm getting my money. Not my spouse. Not even me. God is the source. Of every good thing. God is the source of, of truth, not culture. God is the source of protection, not other people. God is your source. Hannah knew this. She went to him and asked for a son. It's especially um, interesting because in this culture, Baal was a, a very large part of the culture of the time. And if someone outside of Israel, someone not godly, even God's people get caught out on this a lot throughout the Old Testament. They want to be able to have children, and so they sacrifice humans to Baal in order to have a child. I, Hannah could have gone to other places to get what she wanted, or as she perceived it. She went straight to the source. Your job is not your source. Your spouse is not your source. You are not the source. Just like Job, we have to remember that God is so much bigger that he orchestrates the universe on our behalf every good and perfect gift comes from him and the amazing thing is he wants to give to you he wants to give to you it's our obedience that determines whether he does or not he wants it your salvation his love is unconditional but his blessings are conditional When we're obedient, he wants to give to us. He is a good father that wants to give good gifts. Hannah understood this. And number four, the fourth part of her prayer if you look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, to me, this is the most astounding part. I will give him back to you. Can you imagine? being given the one thing you have always wanted and turning around and giving it away. Because that's what Hannah did. Especially your kid. Like all the moms in the room are like, I can't imagine. As soon as Samuel was weaned, Hannah brought him to the temple to be raised by priests and live his life in service of God. I've got two kids. I can't imagine, right? Can't imagine. And every year when she'd come to visit him, come to the temple, she would bring her son some things. The priest would bless her. She got to see him occasionally even. Hannah ended up later in life having three sons and two daughters because she honored her promise and gave Samuel to God. She never saw Samuel as her own. She gave him back to God. There's a parenting principle to be found in here too. Great parents that I've seen remain great throughout their child's adulthood do so because at some point they begin to see their child more as a brother or sister in the Lord and not theirs anymore. There's a point where you have to let go a little bit. You have to let them figure out their own faith, work out their own faith with fear and trembling, right? Maybe this isn't Just a parenting concept though. It's, it's an ownership versus stewardship concept. Something that we have to understand when we are living as a a son or daughter of the king in this privileges versus blessings thing. We have to understand ownership versus stewardship. As Christians, we have to start thinking about our things, things that we see as ours differently. Let me illustrate. My kids have never really earned a dime in their lives, right? They are 10 and 7. Never really earned a dime. Kids don't work. Yet, they have all this stuff. They each have a room. It's filled with things that are theirs, right? They have stuff. Have it. They own it. But occasionally, you know, they will choose to not share their stuff, with each other or with somebody else, right? And then I have to step in and I'm like, did you earn that thing? Right? Is it yours or is it actually mine and I'm loaning it to you? Okay, then I can take it away. Right? Unless you're willing to share it. Oh, and yes, of course, they're willing to share it. Great. It's back in the right order, right? I've corrected their line of thinking. They don't actually own it. I bought it with my hard-earned money, not yours, right? So if you... Share it if you're going to share it. If you're going to use it correctly, no problems. You can use it to your heart's content. This is more the right thinking when it comes to ownership in God's kingdom. We, how does the Bible put it? Your life is but a vapor, here today and gone tomorrow. And we don't own anything on this planet Earth because we're not here all that long in the scope of eternity. We're not here all that long. We get to use it for a time if God sees fit. We are stewards of his things, not owners. And when we see it that way, we use it differently. Right? When we see ourselves as a steward of God's things, not an owner, we act differently. Hannah saw herself as a steward of Samuel, not an owner. Sometimes the solution that you've been praying for is also someone else's solution. But God won't release it until you're ready to give it back to him. When you do, he'll use it for so much more than you could ever imagine. But we often hold things tightly. When God gives them to us, we hold them tightly. It's mine. I earned it, right? I don't have to share it. But this is the secret, the surprise of sacrifice. Maybe you're asking him for that raise right now, but you're not tithing. You're not willing to sacrifice part of it. Be be obedient to God. Right, listen, some people want to argue with, with tithing preaching because it's it's law from the Old Testament, and we don't live under the law anymore, right? Yeah, but we don't preach it as law. It is a lifestyle. It's not a religion piece to be followed blindly. It's it's life. It's how we see God. I'm, I'm teaching how to see him, how, how to understand the things that he gives you. I'm just a steward. So of course I'm going to give 10% back to him when he asks. It's not mine anyway. I'm not teaching you to jump through the hoops and not have no heart behind it. We talked about that last week with Malachi. I'm trying to teach us how to see the kingdom through correct eyes, see his blessings truly for what they are. If you're not tithing, nine out of nine times out of 10, you don't see God as a good father who wants to give you good things. If you view tithing as God asking for too much from you, you see him as a harsh slave driver, not the good God he is that gives you every good thing. It means you're still seeing yourself as the source and not him. You're serving you, not him. So maybe you're asking him for that raise right now, that new job, whatever, but you're not tithing. Stop asking him and start obeying him. And then the, the flow of blessings will just come because that's what he does. He wants to bless you. Maybe you're asking him for healing right now, but you haven't given up some bad habits right? You're not treating your body as a temple, another tool to be stewarded. You're giving it whatever it wants all the time. Treating it like crap and expecting God to bless it. All right? maybe you're asking for one of your children to come back to God, but you're not setting a great example yourself right now. And maybe God is waiting for you to get to the place that Hannah was able to get to spiritually, where, where you're not just asking for yourself anymore. You're asking for others. Hannah wanted something so badly for herself. And at the same time was willing to give it to God. And she understood the principle of sacrificing God's kingdom. The principle that states that when we put something in God's hand, it's not gone and it's not wasted. Nothing is wasted in God's hand. When we sacrifice out of obedience, God honors and he blesses. And God's math is not addition It is multiplication, right? When we give him five fishes and two loaves, I always get that backwards. Two loaves and five fishes? Five fishes and two loaves? (laughs) When we give him a very little, he can feed the multitudes with it, right? He multiplies what we put in his hand. He gives exponentially more. He does not waste a sacrifice. Nothing is wasted in his hand. The government can't take anything from you. No human can take anything from you. Your salvation cannot be taken like that. You have everything you need in Christ Jesus. Instead of complaining about our rights, as we do so often as Christians in America, complain about our rights, shouldn't we as believers saying, you know what, take it, take it all, take the world, but give me Jesus. It's all I need. Now You can... Trust God with your honesty. He will listen. You can trust God with your prayers because He will answer, and you can trust Him with your sacrifice. They are not wasted in the hands of God. Hannah's sacrifice resulted in an uncommonly godly man raised in the household of wicked priests, but not being influenced by them. A man who answered when God called. A man who we now consider to be the first of the prophets after Moses at a time when words from God were rare and infrequent. He was the last of Israel's judges because even though he didn't agree with it, he was also the man who inaugurated the first king of Israel and the second. A man who was a blessing to his people and a blessing to his God. In this privileges series, we have to be willing to sacrifice a little bit for each other and for God. If that means praying about giving more money to missions or to the Freedom Foundation or to the church in general, or if that means disciplining yourself to spread the gospel in everyday life. Maybe it's just one Zoom call, checking in with a friend ministering to someone else, encouraging someone else. Maybe it's turning off Netflix for an hour and opening your Bible and making sure that a family member has all the food they need in this season. We're not given blessings in this life to hoard them all to ourselves. They are meant to overflow out of us onto the people around us. And for that to happen, we have to start praying bigger prayers not just my wants and my needs and my desires, but what is best for the kingdom? God, truly, what can I do for you instead of just what you can do for me? We have to start seeing our things, our blessings, our privilege as something God can use for his purposes. We don't have God tagging along in our back pocket just to be pulled out in an emergency. We're the ones in the back pocket. We are his solutions to the problems of this world. We are meant to overflow on the people around us. We are solutions in this world looking for problems. We have to use our privilege not just for us but for the good of the kingdom. God, use us. Even if we have to sacrifice something, even if it's Hard or challenging or we're afraid. God, use us. Let more people be willing to pray that bold and dangerous prayer. Let us put more in your hands to be used for you. Let us be willing to part with more things. Let us truly see our things on planet Earth as your things that we are stewards of. Let us be good stewards, God. We would truly take care of the things that you give us and let them go when they need to be let go. God, I I pray that right now you would speak to hearts and minds that maybe there is something they've been holding on to that they know they need to give away today. Maybe you're whispering to hearts and minds a, a, a way to be generous in this world. Be generous with their church. Be generous with their family and friends. Be generous with, with strangers at the grocery store. That, that we would just overflow with generosity. That we would truly understand the principle of sacrifice. Nothing is wasted. And we give it to you. Heads bowed and eyes still closed. I want to tell you briefly about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That God knows this principle of sacrifice as well. When he sent his only son to come and die for us. It wasn't just Hannah and Samuel in the Old Testament. But God himself sent his son to sacrifice on the cross. The only man who has ever walked planet earth and didn't deserve to die. For the wages of sin is death. And Jesus never sinned. He didn't deserve it. But he chose that cross for you and I. He sacrificed himself for you. Offered himself as a living sacrifice so that you don't have to pay for your sins. The selfishness that, that we get stuck in, these loops of addiction and pain, hopelessness. Jesus came to rescue you from each and every one of those. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And he's given you the privilege of knowing your creator and being with him in eternity. And today I want to offer you the opportunity to say yes to that sacrifice. To give yourself completely and totally into his hands. To say, yes, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I choose your forgiveness today. I accept it. I thank you for it. And I want to live my life your way. I want to learn what that means. If that's you and you want to pray that prayer, you want to say, I'm in to following Jesus. I'm into this salvation thing. I'm in. Would you just raise your hand right where you are? All heads are bowed and eyes are closed you would say I'm in I want Jesus maybe for the first time or it's been a long time just raise your hand up if you're in this room if you're watching online you can text the number on the screen or write I'm in in the comments we'd love to help you with that decision anybody here today I'm in I want Jesus okay maybe some of you here today are saying you know what I need to Pray some bigger prayers. I realize now that I've been putting God in a box. I need to, to pray bigger, understanding that God is so much bigger, He has better in mind for me. Or maybe some of you here today are saying, I, I know I have a sacrifice I need to make. I need to have that honest conversation with God. There's something in my life that's not quite right. I need to give it up, or there's something in my life that I know I need to give to someone and it's gonna hurt but I'm going to give it anyway. If you're responding to either of those two things, God knows what it is. Just raise your hand up. I would like to pray for you today. Father, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. Thank you that you are a big and good God. A good Father who loves us so much. God, I pray that we would each of us leave with that reality in our minds today. That we would just understand who you are truly and understand who we are as your children and that our things are not our things, but yours. God, help us use them for good in this world. Help us be agents of change. Help each and every one of us to leave those doors to say and, and truly pray, God, what can I do for you today? Use me, stretch me, grow me, but use me to help someone else. Help me use my privileges for you. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to IMN. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.